When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Right. Hello and welcome to episode seven of Brighton Rock. It's me, Russell Guyver, again. I have with me Peter Marsh, as usual. How Hello. Are you, Peter? Good. good, thanks. Yeah, Excellent. you? Uh, yeah, good, good. Very good. And Raymond Wright, the, the Ditchling gent. How are you, sir? Very well, thank you, Russell. Excellent. I'm wondering if the Duke of Ditchling would work maybe better. Well, he's a gentleman of sorts, isn't he? He certainly, <laughs> should, certainly should be up there, shouldn't he? Or, or what, what else can we call him? So many options. <laughs> <laughs> right in with your options, too. <laughs> <clears throat> How are you, anyway, Raymond? All good? Well, I'm fine, personally. I just uh, Got over that cold? Frustrated as a Brighton supporter. Yeah. Yeah, excellent. That's yeah. not an unusual state to be in, though. <laughs> no, no, that's, that's pretty standard, isn't it? Um, so, yes, we will be talking about that very subject, the Watford results. Uh, we'll also talk about Davy Prupper's contract. Note the excellent pronunciation there. I've been practising. And, um, we're, well, it's, it's been a week where we've had the coronavirus. We've had an unimpeached prune. I knew that was going to happen. Republican um, majorities and all that. Dear, oh dear. And it's been the sad passing of Kirk Douglas at the age of 103, a true Hollywood legend. Well, what else has happened? Storm Kiara's hit. That's affected quite a few um, sporting events up and down the country. And, well, apart from that, we've got a quick quiz I wanted to pose for you guys and for any listeners out there. Um, don't answer this yet if you know the answer, but we have, unfortunately, failed to do the double again over a team. We failed with Spurs recently. We've now failed to do the double over Watford. In the first season in the Premier League, who were the two teams in which we managed to achieve that feat? We'll come back to that with answers at the end. In the meantime, one other quick point that I want to mention, social loafing. Anybody got any ideas what that is? (laughs) None whatsoever. (laughs) Not really at all. (laughs) No, well, it's a bit of a weird one. I've had the day off today, had the pleasure to listen to a little bit of, and watch a little bit of uh, Sky Sports News, and dear old Steve McLaren was on, everybody's friend. Um, He was talking about it. So apparently social loafing is to do with pulling together as a team. So he gave the example of tug of war. If you all pull together, one, two, maybe three of you, you'll tend to tally up and, and be full 100% effectiveness. If you start getting more people on board, it apparently doesn't go that way. It starts to drag out. People don't pull their weight, literally. That's probably where the expression comes from. 
and eventually you just end up with an inefficient team ethic. So what he's getting at is, well, essentially it's, it's football about it's a, no, it's not a football about metaphor. It's a metaphor about football. Um, and he was giving the example of Sheffield United being very good at avoiding social loafing. I thought social loafers might be some sort of special footwear you wear when you go out for a particular party event. What do you think, Peter? Or the, or the bread you eat pre-match. <laughs> well, it could be, couldn't it? Yeah. But there we go. Anyway, on to the delightful subject of the Watford match. Um, one will draw at home, the Amex, 5.30 kick-off on Saturday. Uh, they took the lead, we equalised late on. Uh, I wasn't unfortunate at the game. I'm, I'm on some personal austerity measures, having to budget a little bit as things have been quiet on the work front. But you guys are both of the game. So, first of all, Peter, what was your take on things? I was not very impressed, to be honest. It was a pretty terrible game, hmm. to be honest. Um, Watford offered absolutely nothing. They had one, one goal. And other than that, I don't think... I think there was one more shot on target, which I can barely remember, so I have no idea when it was. They they had no... In the second half, they had no interest in attacking at all. And they just spent their time time-wasting... And a referee who, yeah, Kevin Friend, who is apparently who's regularly not our friend, not. did absolutely nothing <laughs> about it and let them get on with it. There were quite a lot of cynical, chap, cynical fouls when our players were trying to break free. Um, again, a lot of them unpunished. Um, and we just couldn't deal with their basically 11 men behind the ball. Hmm. They, they were very poor, but we weren't any better. We had 67% of possession again and didn't really do anything with it. And we, to be honest, I wouldn't say we looked like scoring before, uh, before the own goal. Yeah, Raymond, um, you've had a look at the stats, I think, or you normally do. And um, I think in terms of numbers of passes, we're well over 500 again, well, weren't we? 598 or yeah. something. But what is worrying, and Peter and I were discussing it before the game down at the Amex, is that teams are only getting a, about a third percent possession and scoring fairly easily against us. God knows what would happen if somebody had 70% possession mm. against us. The implication is that we'd concede seven or eight. So while we're dominating the possession and the passes, our passing accuracy was just under 83%, somewhere like 82.9, which is good. It's, as you were saying last week, Peter, forwards, backwards, sideways, yeah. and there's not any penetration. And, and part of the problem, strikes me, is a lack of pace in central midfield and midfield generally and without, we're not playing with the same tempo that we were in the first half of the season or the same intensity that lack of intensity and tempo it means it gives the opposition plenty of time to get 11 men behind the ball yeah. and oh, I, I agree do, completely with that yeah. and, and the one or two times we did move quickly uh, or we won the ball by pressing up uh, well into their half witnessed when we did score a goal uh, uh, one of the quick breaks was the ball by Ryan to Trossard Trossard ran and just kept the ball in on the Watford goal line we actually caused real problems so somehow we need to get that tempo back need to get pace into midfield move the ball quickly yeah I feel we've moved, we've dropped back the last month or so towards the end of last season kind of play where we don't really seem to know what we're doing with it. Um, and we drift you know, backwards and further backwards, and then the ball comes out and we lose it anyway on the halfway line. So we'll be on the edge of the opposing team's area, and then suddenly we'll end up passing it back into our own half and back to Ryan. And while I said you've got to keep possession, surely you shouldn't be going back 
from the edge of the opposing area, team's area to your own half, to your own half, and then to your keeper, and then losing it anyway because you kick it upfield, and quite often they win it anyway. Yeah, it's a lack of incision, isn't it? And, yeah. and having the creativity to get those little intricate passes going, or and or it's something to do with um, uh, movement and getting enough numbers into the right areas. I think it's a combination of both of those. Probably. Yeah, Raymond. Uh, I thought all the substitutions were, were positive ones. They were all attacking ones. I thought all three players uh, made a contribution, Jahanbash especially, and Alizati. There's a slight problem, I feel, uh, and I feel for Alizati, because he's playing out sort of more towards the right, but because the ball was going back, as Peter has just described, Alizati was receiving the ball half of the time with his back to the opposition penalty area, which gave him um, really only one option, either pass it back to where it could come from, or sideways. He wasn't being given the space. Watford were pressing on, so one thing they did do, so he couldn't turn and then move the ball forward. And that was sort of part of the problem. And if we could get the ball out quicker so people are receiving it facing the right direction so that we could move forward. And, we, and, and when we did, we did do it. I thought Johannbash got in behind the Watford defence at least a couple of times. Once led to the goal where he put the ball into the dangerous area and that the quality of the, of the ball caused the own goal. And I think people are sort of castigating the uh, Watford defender and I feel sorry for him but actually a lot of credit has to go to, to, to Hamblash for putting the ball in the right place and if more Brighton players were doing that and, and making runs as you were saying it, it makes a big difference. The, the most concerning thing I think in a way with the goal is that that there wasn't a Brighton player anywhere near. Yeah. There should have been someone making that run into the near post, like Trossard actually did later on to get an end of Johan Batch across. But there was no one really that near. And actually, I think which is why he, the Marriott has been castigated, because he was, if he'd looked up, he'd have seen that he could have let it go and then cleared it away or whatever. But yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I feel that it, we should have been having someone right there. Should have been have someone dove sliding in on that. Or, well, clearly... Obviously, the, the, the general consensus is that Mariapa thought that Murray may have still been going in towards the goal line and therefore stealing in at the far post. So uh, you, you could argue he should have checked, um, but it's difficult, I suppose, in the heat yeah. of the moment. You can see what Murray does quite well is he'll, he'll try and find that pocket of space. So he will peel off mm. and he will make those intelligent little angles. So it's not surprising he did that. Yeah. Mariapa maybe should have been a bit more aware, but um, ultimately... Yeah. In the end, yeah, there should be someone at that back post there. Anyway. I mean, it makes sense to try and feed our second top scorer of the year own goals. Yeah. Say. <laughs> yes, exactly. In fact, even breaking it down to Watford, is they're not too yeah. far up the list, just Watford yeah. own goals. Uh, four altogether, we had to Corey, who scored, of course, the goal at the right end for them uh, at the weekend. Yeah, um, we've been, of him. Yeah, exactly. We've then had Dino at Everton, oh, at the Amex against um, Everton. And the third goal was, remind me. I don't remember, but I saw it at a stat about four. Um, yeah, I can't remember if the third one was, but it'll come to us later. And then obviously we've had Mariapa as well. So, yeah, he's a technically owned Oh, goal. West Ham. Uh, of um, Bonner. Oh, yes, when it, of course. When it was uh, Fabianski punched against the back of his head. That was a good, that was a good uh, combination play. Yeah. I thought that was a really good build-up play yeah. to that goal. Did yeah. Fabianski get an assist <laughs> for it, yeah? Yeah, or Flappy Hansky, as uh, he's been called in the past. I can see why now. But, yeah, I mean, own goal is our second top scorer now, which is quite impressive. So there we go. Um, the other talking points, I mean, well, for me, I didn't think, although we started on the front foot, we didn't start with an awful lot of conviction. And although we had the better of the play, and you could argue the goal came against the run of play, 90 minutes in, <sighs> disappointing concession. 
A lot of criticism's gone to Duffy. I watched the game live on TV, and for me, I didn't really see Duffy as the main culprit there. I think it was the sloppiness of the concession of possession was the issue there in the first place. Duffy clearly wanted to show the man out wide. He didn't want to have that, and he was standing him up. To be honest, it was just a good goal from the attacking point of view. Um, he, there was a slight bobble, and he took it early as it bobbled, which made it very difficult to defend or, or to save. But I think for me, it was all in the, the initial giving away of possession. Moy was a bit naive there to try and do that, and he, he put us on the back foot of it. Um, good though the goal was. What, what do you think? Peter first. I can see your point. I actually, I, th- I don't think you can let a player run from the halfway line like that to the area. Hmm. Good a goal as it was. And we did it soon after as well. They had four or five passes where we didn't actually, and got across it and looked quite dangerous, where we didn't actually put a tackle in. Or, yeah. um, Just to quickly add, I, I noticed Richarlison on a slightly less grand scale scored a very similar goal against Palace mm. for the weekend. So I imagine they'll be full of criticism too. I wonder why, whether we need to be a bit more dirty in that sort of situation. Mm. Take a card. Take him out. Early. Yeah, take player out on the halfway, or near the halfway line. Yeah. Take a card. When we're probably in that sense the cleanest team in the league, we don't do cynical foul generally, and we even don't do really time waste a lot. That I don't think we're yeah, we're, we're, we're not that we're, physical. We're a little bit naive. And I'd we, said say last, we said last week we're not a very physical side no. in general either, are we? We've mentioned that. But Raymond, do you want to say something about the concession of the goal? Well, I think uh, and the Duffy point. Um, I think this will go back half a space. Um, we're not really protecting the back four, so when Moy, having got the ball, was going forward. I think thought he was a bit slow in, in in his movement and in getting passing the ball. Had he been quicker and more incisive, that might it might not have had the ricochet and we might not have been exposed. But somebody should have been um, covering behind him when he went forward. There wasn't another player in midfield dropping I, I back. I think pro- proper pass to him and then move forward to collect and yeah. the, the pass onwards. I think, and, and so and there wasn't anyone there. So yeah. there wasn't anybody. To then come behind uh, mm. and, and cover the Moy, because if there had been uh, a, def- a proper defensive midfielder, arguably, mm. then he could have taken the foul if necessary. He might have won the ball, who knows, fairly, but he could have taken the ball and that defence wouldn't have done it. Duffy, I think, was actually watching the man and doing him so that he was, he was taking really responsibility if. Um, to Corey had gone off to Duffy's right because there was nobody else covering that space. Duffy, if he'd gone forward, would have, left, would have left all the space behind him and the space to the right free. And I think that Duffy would have expected Duncan, I think it might have been Byrne, on his left, not to keep retreating. But when, when the Corey went to Duffy's left before shooting, would expect one of those to have moved forward, and they didn't. They kept retreating as well. Hmm. And I, so, I mean, Duffy, I think, is not unreasonably going to expect some of the other defenders to do something. Yeah, so, yeah. It's a so, classic back off scenario, isn't it? Yeah, which, but, which, but there shouldn't have been all three of them. Back yeah, either there. way, there were three of them behind that ball once we'd given it away, at least. I think there might have been one or two more, and no one went and tackled him. Yeah. And I, while, yes, obviously, Moy takes some blame for giving it away poorly. I would say someone's got to get it, go in and try and you know, try and go into it, even if it just means taking a booking. Mm. I, I, I would have blamed probably enough Dunkmore and Duffy though. Ah, okay. He was the central one, and he was the one that actually he sort of shot past finally. Hmm. And he kept on back. So he could have closed in from the other side. Of he him. could have closed. 
he was the centre of the three, he could have gone before, uh, gone forward. And I, I don't know whether the, the pundits and the experts would agree with me. That is what I would have thought. And Duffy had to mark the, he had to mark the space to the left, it was down to dunk in the centre and burn possibly to the mm. left to cover that space. Uh, I mean, I do think there is a question of not doing things quickly enough, which we referred to earlier. Uh, Moy took too long on the ball, mm. and therefore they were able to anticipate what he was going to, to do. I think there's a tendency that people now know that Brighton try and play through the lines, mm. and they're not moving the ball sideways unless there's no pressure on them. Yeah, there's been a discussion about whether we use the width enough in general. I think Josh on his podcast, anyone hasn't heard that, it's called uh, Hashtag Together, I think is the name of the podcast. Uh, worth checking out, he's very good on the statistical analysis and that sort of stuff. Uh, he's based over in the States, so worth checking him out. But I think at one point or other he's mentioned about us not using the width enough in many situations mm. during games, and in general not enough. A lot, a lot of games, if you look at the Amex, there's um, players, opposition players on the wing, staying or sticking to the wing, and our players, even the full-backs the wings are all drawn inside. And there's actually huge spaces there mm. for them. I mean, obviously, once you go, the ball goes over there too quickly, or not too quickly often, and it's plenty of time to get across. But we play, yeah, we play very narrow, I think. It's kind of... And, yeah, other teams have a lot more width. I think the other thing that really frustrates me sometimes is it seems like we almost want to wait for teams to catch us up. We don't... You know, occasionally, as Raymond said, we kind of like put break forward very quickly, and we can actually look quite dangerous. But a lot of the time, it's gone back towards the Chris Hutton way of being very ponderous in attack, and just taking our time and waiting for for the other team to catch up. Really, not like just. And we yeah. haven't got a huge pace without, especially without Connolly being the team who's probably the quickest of the lot, mm. and he's scared obviously when he if he's ever fit. Yeah. Um, and I um, yeah, we kind of just tend to wait for the other team to come back, and then we try and cross or pass or. Um, one other point to speak about Moy in general. There was a furious debate uh, we were all having on our WhatsApp group when we picked a um, big, big group of us about Moy's levels dropping off. I think since he got the permanent deal, hopefully that's not an ominous sign. But in recent weeks, his his form's dropped off. Gross hasn't really got back to anything like his uh, mm. his better standard. And the debate was about who was the better player and who should be dropped. For example, when when McAllister gets into the equation, or is one or if you want to play Mope and Moy, mm. Mope and Murray together. Yeah, yeah. So I, my personal point of view is I think summed up really with, with one or two other people were saying that Moy is certainly more of a dynamic presence on the field. He'll get up and down, he'll move around, mm. he's very busy, he'll look to knit the play, that sort of thing. Gross is, he tries to do some of that, but he's, more, he's better with the set pieces and that type of, um, well, that sort of uh, uh, inclusion in the, uh, in the, in the attacks. Um, I think both of them have got their faults at the moment. Moy's form's dropped. Grosh hasn't been at his best. I think, arguably, you'd want, to, you'd want to kind of change them out, wouldn't you, and get some other people in. McAllister obviously can fit into that mould. Um, could could they both be left out of a team once McAllister's I, in the I equation? I would be tempted almost at the moment if McAllister looks hmm. half-decent. I I think the problem for Moy maybe is that he was he had a very influential spell for us. Especially that Bournemouth home game where he, he absolutely ran the show and one or two other games. And of course teams then picked up on him and so they've been a lot tighter on him. Yeah. Which should then mean we've got more space for other players, but it doesn't seem to work like that. I mean, I think Grosh has not been the same since that first season really because he had a few injuries and he's not quite the player he was then anyway. Mm. I think the problem is the Saturday's team was just, front six was just too slow. They're not that, Trossard is not 
slow, but he's not massively quick. And the rest are all pretty generally pretty ponderous. Yeah, we're lacking that killer instinct. Not, we, yeah. Well. Yes, Raymond. Well, um, it's interesting. I think the, the Gross Moy debate because Moy, for all his sort of uh, visibility, if I can call it that, um, has only produced the one assist. Then he's got two goals. I'm not sure, but at one stage of the season, around about November, Grace was way ahead of him on chances created. They probably played about the equal amount of um, minutes game time. So it's a question. Uh, Moy is busy. He works hard. He's clearly a good player. But to be fair to both of them, and this will apply to virtually everybody in the team, with the exception of Brian. Nobody's actually playing in the same position, from, arguably, from one match to the next. So, yet again, for the Watford game, three of the back four were starting, hadn't started the game the previous game. So any person who has been in the back four the previous game was dunk. So, uh, <coughs> that's a whole new, new back four working with Ryan. So there's going to be a lack of cohesion, lack of understanding. And... Potter, has, I don't think it's... A, I mean, Tinkerman's an expression that's gone by the wind. It's called pottering. <laughs> and, uh, and, and pottering, I think he overdoes it. So that uh, one week, Moy is playing wide on the right. The next thing, he's playing a deep one of the two in front of the back four. And that other time, he's playing in the number ten role. I think his role on Saturday was, to be fair, partly down to Stevens being injured, probably. Yeah, yeah he had a hamstring injury. But he, had, he and Proper were meant to be playing both the deep role. So everybody is, is being asked to do something different from what they have done the week before. So it's, uh, you know, it's, it's like saying, well, you're going to be in the accounts department in your company this week, you're going to be in the legal department the next week, <laughs> you're going to be out on the road selling in the week There after, is a logic to it, though. And you're going to be on the factory floor the week after. There is a logic to it, though. It's not just tinkering for sake of it. I get what he, where he comes from. He's, he sees weaknesses in other teams. He sees problems. You know, you don't go and play a team with, like, ten players over six foot in the same way as you go and play a team with two players over six foot who've got massive pace. It, make, it does make complete sense. And Whereas Hewton was the opposite. He just played the same team every week, no matter who we played, pretty much. If they were fit, you'd get the same people playing week in, week out. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, so Portuton would be... The, the best manager there. For Tutan. <laughs> but, I mean, in a sense, I mean, the, one of the expressions was heard time and time again, we're going to prepare, we're going to let the other side worry about us, we're not going to concern mm. worry about the other side. And I think if you plan too much for what the other opposition is, you're half a pace backwards already because you're thinking of them rather than let them worry about you. Let the opposition worry but about it's not, them. But it's not that way around, though. It's not to con- conduct their strengths, in a way. It's to take a bunch of their weaknesses, I think, mm, a yeah. lot of the time. Just a couple of things. On the Port Manteau there going on, um, Raymond, if we're talking uh, Potuton, I think surely Huter... Hmm, maybe that's not a good idea, actually. Huter conjures up something rather different. Um, but on the, on the subject of Sheffield United, we'll go into doing a, uh, do a preview piece next week on that one. But um, I think they're a really interesting team, the way they play. But a lot's been mentioned about their overlapping centre-backs and all the rest of it. They generally play a 3-5-2 with a very flexible system. Um, what that affords them is two strikers up top, obviously, in that, in that formation. Should we, depending on the opposition, should we be looking to try and 
integrate that back into the way we're playing? Because we're talking about Murray and Morpay not having had the time together. That will be a way that we could perhaps introduce that into the equation and see how it goes. And, and would you need to stick to it for a few weeks? Is that what we're saying? To try and allow us to impose ourselves on the opposition over a, a sustained period? I... I, th- I think Mario Malpe could work. I think what, what it could be working in a 4-3-3 with Malpe just playing a bit wider um, and someone else playing on the other side. I don't think there's an issue with playing three, three up top, 4-3-3 or something like that. Or, hmm. um, I think the three at the back experiment got dropped because we were, we were playing well, but the results had dropped off. Hmm. And then we've tried it once or twice more. I think we started at Everton, didn't we? And it was a bit of a disaster. So I think it's kind of like backed him up as a... Yeah, I mean, getting burned back um, unexpectedly early, which is a bonus, obviously, and he, he was in the team on Saturday. Um, the other thing was, I mean, we've now got Lamptey in, who could provide something more dynamic going forward down the right side. So perhaps it might be worth returning to that now that, A, he's in, and B, Bernardo is back, because we haven't really tried it since Bernardo's been back, all in all, have we, apart from possibly a couple of slight adjustments. But we'll, we'll see what happens. Meantime, Raymond, you were going to say something else. Well, I, I think it's interesting from that Sheffield United because they're almost they're playing a back five hmm. with the two wing backs hmm. or full backs having the freedom to go forward when, when appropriate. Um, so they work really hard and they've been sort of pretty successful at, at doing that. Hmm. So you've got a back five rather than a back four or a back three and then you've suddenly got five in midfield when, when you need it. Um, I. I think it's a pity that uh, I think there is a certain amount of dynamic coming from Silotto coming forward down the right when he was playing I mean I think he brought quite a lot of pace and, and movement um, but was it a penalty or not against Watford it's mm. a question of which angle you saw it from but it's but I think he has got the experience and he um, you know, has done well so far in the two games he's played I'm slightly surprised that Bernardo was, was dropped because he'd been playing well um, since he's, he's come into the side. wondered if Bern had just been brought rushed back a bit too soon. Yeah, you used um, the word rushed. I was going to suggest that. Yeah, I mean, it's. Uh, um, you know, I wasn't expecting him back till the, for another two or three weeks. I don't know to what extent he held back a bit on occasions of movement with uh, having. Yeah, the shoulder problem um, but he didn't look sharp he, and he wasn't as commanding as he had been earlier in the season that, that first five or six games he he, he was a, uh, really a surprise um, uh, he will I think be better for having had the game and with this break we're having now it will give him more time to get fitness and he'll be sharper for the next match um, but I think it's a I would like to see some consistency of selection and I'd like to see people being able to build the partnerships we talked about last time. But I would like, as Peter alludes to, to see Mario Mope. There are two most likely scorers. Uh, Mope has got a bit of pace. And he, Murray was winning a few balls in the air and flicking on. And Mope needs to be able to read them and see what's happening. Murray again, one, one or two free kicks uh, at appropriate time so I think from that viewpoint it's, uh, it would be interesting and, and again Murray he would have had a fortnight break between games so he's going to be fresh I, I think it's um, I think it's inconsistency I think have, have a strong bench have 
bring people on from the bench and change the tactics during the game when you need to, as Potter does, but let's go for a team that, that can jump. Yeah, I think yeah. it's getting the balance right. Houston was, was too resistant to change, and as, as we said last week, when he did change, he kind of stuck to the new thing rigidly as well. Um, I think Potter's the, the, the exact antithesis of that, maybe to, to an extreme. But a talking point-wise, you mentioned the penalty. Just very briefly on that, I, I personally don't think it was. Scalotto has described how he went through and then felt something, and then he went over. Looking at the certain angles, you can see there's a certain touch from the defender, nothing distinctive. I think that's what caused him to then hit his own foot and go down. To me, that's just coming together, I think. Would you say there was anything in that? I, th- that I thought piece? he caught him, but I, I can see why it wasn't given. Hmm. It's one of those that on you know, a good day you get given. I, I think, personally, VAR wouldn't have overruled it either way. Yeah, it wasn't clear I think it had been, yeah, yeah on-field yeah. decision were given penalty, then it would have been a penalty. Hmm. If you've ever been tap-tackled from behind and you're running flat out, hmm. and somebody just gets your trailing foot and just taps it round behind your thing, you actually trip over. Yeah. And it's, it's happened to me two or three times on a rugby pitch in days gone by, and uh, it's nothing more frustrating is you think you've beaten the player, and he hasn't actually tackled you properly, he's just caught yeah. your foot and knocked it. And just somebody, if you're walking down the street and somebody does that to you. Well, uh, under, under the, the current system, I think the way people look at it, they wouldn't look at that and think it was a penalty, and it wouldn't be clear and obvious to say otherwise. But are you saying that the rules should be more angled towards the attacking player there? Are you saying a, a, an unfair advantage was I, gained? I, I, don't, I don't think it was intended mm. by, no, no, by the defender. Not, not I think that. it had the effect that it knocked, I think, Shilotto's foot in such a way that he then tripped over himself. Mm. But, it, it, but for the contact, he wouldn't have tripped over himself. So it's a moot point. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think it was... Uh, it would have been a, just an ordinary free kick outside of the area. Mm, yeah. And because it was in the area, you know, it's a yeah. question. They, they probably... Hmm. I mean, even Scalotti wasn't absolutely certain. No, no. Yeah, it, well, it, was, it wasn't a great deal of conviction in the appeal. Anyway, I mean, apart from that, there wasn't much else to talk about. Moy had the shot, which obviously was saved by Foster's foot. He didn't have to have as outstanding a game as he did last season against the Waters, but... He did do so when he needed to, and there wasn't much else besides. Um, in terms of quotes, I think um, Alzate is on record as saying, uh, pleased with the draw. Obviously, he's referring to the fact we've come back from behind. Um, Potter was generally disappointed with the draw, but would take it. Um, I listened to the Watford fan podcast from the Rookery end on the way over to, uh, to meet you guys tonight, and their general consensus was that they were quite pleased with the result overall, all things considered based on the fact they've, they've been in a poor run of form and they didn't really do too much and they thought it was a poor game, same as you, Peter. So not much more to say on that matter. Um, so anyway, that's the end of the first part. We're going to take a break now and probably get some of the lovely pies from this lovely pub, the um, Gladstone Arms. And um, in the second part, we'll be talking about Davy Proper's contract, um, thoughts on the winter break, which is now upon us, and various other subjects, including um, some decision-making about transfer windows in the summer and various other aspects. So join us again in just a moment. Goodbye to the town where I went to school to pass from present friends. Goodbye to the place where I went to work and long for it to 
Goodbye to my brother and sister. Goodbye to my mum and dad. I'm going off to London. Please don't be too sad. You're listening there to Mark Sampson, friend of ours, Boone as he's known to his friends, and with a song called The Bright Lights of London from his album London Anthems. Um, he's got a new album out, which we haven't got access to here um, to play through, but I've been listening to it at home. I'll be doing a quick review on that later. I mentioned it a couple of weeks ago on the pod, so we'll see how we get on with that later on. Anyway, welcome back to part two. Still with Peter, still with Raymond. How are you doing, chaps? Good, enjoying a beer, you know. Suitably lubricated, I presume. Yes, going the right way, thank you. Excellent, marvellous stuff, marvellous. Well, um, in this second part, we wanted to talk really about a number of subjects. We'll put it our way through. First of all, uh, David Proper has become the latest in a long line of people to renew contracts. First we had Graham Potter, then we had, trying to remember the order, but we had uh, Dan Byrne, uh, Aaron Moy signing on a permanent deal, Glenn Murray extending his deal by a year. Stephen Alzate. Alzate as well, oh, I missed that one, so what's think, he got? I think he signed like a three or four year deal like when he, when he first broke into the team. Oh, well. oh, oh yes, yeah, that's right, he did, didn't he, yeah. Uh, and now we've got we've got Propos, the latest to join uh, for a longer period. I think he's got the 2023 as well, the same yeah. as everyone apart from Murray has got now. Uh, Murray, understandably. Um, so, what do you think about that? First of all, good decision, timing-wise, and in general. Delighted. Yeah. I am. Yeah, I'm really happy about it. I, yeah, he was obviously out of contract in the next season. Um, obviously, with our situation being not completely certain at the moment for next season, I could have understood if he didn't hold off. But it's really good to see him commit to three more years. Or two more years off his original contract, and yeah, I personally think on his day, David Proper is our best player, yeah. and it, no one else has the quality in the class that he does. Yes, he maybe laps goals at times you know, generally, but his quality on the ball and his talent is more than any player I think I've almost seen for Albion, maybe except for Vicente yeah. when he when he's on form. Absolutely agree. I think a lot a lot of our midfielders we've been talking about levels dropping off with Moyen Gross and others this season. Stevens has fluctuated and out of form. Um, David Proper in the past has done, but I think he's really stepped on this year. It's really been his year. I think he deserves the contract. I think he does well for Holland. I know he plays a little bit more of an advanced role there. Um, but um, all in all, I'm pretty pleased with it. And Raymond, what's your... I think, uh, I think it's a good vote of confidence in the, the team and in the style that, uh, of football that Potter is trying to introduce. Hmm. Um, I think that I'm sure he would like to score more goals. And I'm sure he'd like to see us further up the table. But uh, I think a sensible move by the, by the club and uh, delighted that he's signed. Yeah, I think, I think for all of us, um, he's been pretty much man of the match in the, these two games that we've yeah. just played. So he's part of what we've managed to do in terms of at least avoiding defeat against sides below us, which as is it, crucial. As it stands, I'd say contender for player of the season at the moment, probably. Yeah, I think I he's think so. been good enough to be up there with that. I, I would say that he... Yeah, you have to offer something that we don't necessarily have otherwise in terms of you have so much more time on the ball than a lot of most players. And maybe in a more advanced role, if he was given that chance, where you know, instead of grosh say or something like that, maybe it'll work, actually. Mm, yeah. On to other subjects, anyway. Uh, the winter break, we mentioned it a little bit last week. Um, now it is upon us. Uh, have, we've got a week off this coming weekend. Um, you're going to what, the Fuller's Brewery, was it you said, yeah. Peter? Yeah. Well, enjoy that one, I'm sure. Barring <laughs> storm, whatever it is, the new whatever storm is. Be. Yeah, um, but um, what's, what's the views on that? Well, I, I would say that uh, uh, I've been influenced by the Watford result. I think had we won against Watford, it would have been really good news having two weeks now. It would have put pressure on the teams below us and around us. 
having only drawn, I think it will ease the pressure on the Aston Villas and West Ham's of this world, which I think is unfortunate. So my feeling is that um, it's a pity that we've played first out of the sequence of matches over uh, the sort of nine-day period. Yeah, because if and anyone doesn't know, they're, they're staggered over the two weeks. So some get one week off, some get the other week off. So you get a two-week period, one weekend off, essentially, don't you? Which is sort of like a bit of a half measure. And as we said last week, it's to do with TV. Um, yes, as, as with all things the Premier League do, it was <laughs> done half-heartedly so TV, and so TV could get the first say in it. And it's a bit pathetic, frankly. Yeah. But I do, to some extent, I agree with you, Raymond, that um, it's possibly unfortunate timing given the results. We'd like to... Uh, set things right in the next match earlier rather than later but um, I don't know maybe all in all just to regroup give ourselves time to rethink going mm. into the next match and it's, it's, a, it's a key fixture that Sheffield United game yeah. because they're not as good at home that's not to say it's easy but they're not as good at home as they are away and um, in fact their away record is exceptional um, so maybe a little bit more prep time for that might do us some good and also getting McAllister and Lamptey involved in the squad and with Byrne yeah. coming back at the weekend and uh, Duffy coming back. Yeah, we kept the players fully fit. Stevens has been hamstrung. Yeah, last so, week, so actually, I reckon it's actually a good timing. We need to move on from those massive games that we've not won and try and find a way of winning. Yeah. The next two are huge because after that we've got a very very tough run. Yeah, Go, uh, going back a little bit, the, the Stevens issue I think it's important because he will had that much more time to to recover from his injury. And you were saying uh, off. Uh, uh, record uh, Russell that uh, you know, perhaps it needed somebody to take a, a, a give away a, a foul sort of take the other card or whatever um, sort of further up the pitch was something like like to Corey's goal but the player who does that fairly consistently is Stevens mm. because Stevens wasn't there to do that mm. so the fact that he'll come back it should come back into the equation having the two weeks now. Yeah, well, hopefully it'll be it's beneficial, good. yeah. And, and we do need that anchor in midfield, don't we? I think all teams do. If you look at a side like Manu, that's the main issue for them, I think, is, is that anchor role, the sitting midfielder. And when we don't have Stevens in, people like him, people don't like him. One way or the other, we do need somebody doing that role to a good level. And I think uh, that's something that we, uh, we would certainly benefit from by having him back for the next game. Um, other adjustments, as well as the transfer, as well as the uh, the winter break, is the transfer window. Now, I was in favour, and I know Raymond, you weren't, of this initial change being made to have the transfer window finish when the season starts. My view on it was I was in favour of it because, of, well, on the basis that everybody would fall into line. If everybody followed suit, I think that would be the best way to handle things. Um, they haven't. <laughs> the rest of Europe is sticking to what they're doing. Uh, the Premier League and the Championship here in England has therefore left a little bit of isolation. And as a result, it seems on reflection, at a recent vote, the Premier League at least, and I think the Championship following suit, have decided to go back to the system of having the transfer window overlap into the new season by roughly, I think it's a couple of weeks normally, isn't it? Well, it's going to the same day. The, yeah. end, the end of all with beginning of September. I think the only difference is rather than being an 11 o'clock finish, 12 midday in Europe, it's going to be 5 p.m. So we'll close six hours earlier. Yeah. But uh, we left ourselves you know, up there to be shot at. 
mm. and it certainly bit us Brighton, I think, on the thing because we uh, decided to let Locardia and Andoni go out on loan. Locardia's obviously now moved on to Cincinnati, but uh, Andoni is still in Turkey, and we didn't have the ability to bring somebody else in. And had other people followed in, I would agree that the theory of closing the window before the season starts would have been ideal. But if nobody else is going to to do the thing, I'm only disappointed that we haven't actually decided to bite back at the um, at the rest of Europe and decide to put our window a week later, uh, <laughs> at, at, towards the end of the international break in September, so we could do exactly the reverse to what <laughs> they did to us. For the last There's always a cheeky element to you, Raymond. You're always very playfully looking at uh, little scenarios that could, uh, could could cause some, should we say, some, could, could cause some ructions in the in the football world. I do like it. Uh, what we like to call Raymondisms. <laughs> anyway, Peter, anything on the? Uh, I completely agree with you, Russ. Um, I I thought it was a good idea at the time, hoping that other team, other European leagues would would fall in. The issue, I suppose, is in terms of it finishing before the season, is that we don't we start quite early. Um, other leagues don't start till quite late in August, so the issue isn't isn't quite the same for them um, in terms of the week or so after left. Yeah, I yeah, I, I, it would have been a perfect if all European leagues started on X date and all tra- the transfer window across Europe start finished the day before that they started. But given that it's not an option, I think we all right to go back as well. Hmm. What I did like, actually, about last season was the fact that League One and League Two clubs had the ability to go and loan players. They, they had an extended window up to, effectively, the end of August, that loan window. And I think that was useful, that therefore the lower league clubs could get people on loan from the higher divisions when the higher divisions knew what, what they had. And I think it's a pity that that idea isn't carried forward, for, so that if not a, a, the length of time they had last year, perhaps four or five days after the Premier League and Championship window closes, perhaps the Wednesday of the week after, that League One and League Two and lower leagues could have a window closing. Because I think that is useful, and it's useful for the young developing players. I mean, we Brighton let one or two players go out. Um, Max Sanders being a good example. Hmm. Yeah. And we'll talk more about the loan signings, uh, or the, the outbound loan signings, on next week's podcast, because we'll have less to talk about with the winter break being in there. Um, uh, just a couple of other things I wanted to mention now. Uh, first of all, downloads are going in quite healthily. Very pleased to say we've got um, plus 150 downloads so far in our inaugural few weeks of doing this. Um, small numbers, modest numbers, but I'm, I'm pretty happy that we're getting a number of people downloading. So our thanks to all listeners, if you're out there, um, thank you very much. We welcome any comments from you. As I mentioned last time, there's an email, which is brightonrockpodcast at gmail.com. I've also now set up a Twitter account, which is unsurprisingly Brighton Pod, oh, sorry, Brighton Rock Pod. So you can tweet uh, or send PMs that way, DMs even. Um, we'll also get some Instagram stuff set up in due course. A um, few other bits of news. Albion women, well, they didn't play, unfortunately, the weekend due to Storm Chiara. Um, they've got a game tomorrow night against Man United. That's a league game. Man U in their first season in the top flight. They're a fourth in the table. They've got a lot of money behind them, which got them up very convincingly. And they're one of the stronger teams. So good luck to them. They are quite strong at home. 
Um, they did have a very good win against Everton, I think we may have mentioned last time, yeah. 1-0. So we're six points clear of trouble there. It'll be good, when all said and done, whatever your thoughts on the on the women's game, to have a good presence in the top flight. So yeah. I wish the men were six points for the relegation zone. <laughs> yeah, it would be nice, wouldn't yeah. it, at the moment? I mean, can we swap the points? <laughs> it would be nice, wouldn't it? We could trade them off, one against the yeah, other. I mean, yeah, take yeah. six points. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, we'd be absolutely... And we're back in the room. Slight interruption there from the bar staff. We do love that. It adds a quirky element to the podcast, doesn't it? Anyway, just going through a few more details. So, when we went to the West Ham game, uh, Peter, you were there as well when you the match, but I went, went along, I did um, a live match day special. And amongst other things, I ended up having a good old chat with Alison, a friend of ours from Seagulls Over London, Alison Nicole, after the game. We had quite a few beers and we are having a good old chat. And it occurred to me afterwards that when we'd been in the pub, same pub earlier in the day, we had some, well, I had some incredibly smelly food. Uh, it, was, uh, it was called Colombian Marching Box, this thing in, in the Howling Hops. <laughs> and, uh, they were calling it Colombian Marching Powder, but I didn't think it was very appropriate. But anyway, what it, what it essentially was was an extremely spicy, garlicky, stinky chicken. It was quite tasty, but it was reeky. Um, smelly food at the football. Your top picks. Peter. <laughs> Have Not quite sure where to go any with that <laughs> Um I suppose anything involving curry occasionally at football's like yeah. sort of you get curry it, pies, don't yeah. you? Anything like that must be, you know, by definition top of the list so far. Someone say curry pies, I believe the Gladstone Arms do have yeah. curry pies, man. Very good they are too. Moment, yeah. yeah. Um, Might help myself. Yeah. Think, think the kitchen's next door. I think the chicken is it the chicken tikka pie or is it the yeah, chicken balti yeah. pie that we do? Uh, Piglet's Pantry. Yeah, I think they, that must be a... a little bit honky, I think, probably. We don't notice it in, in the blur of beer that happens, but uh, <laughs> but that's that's up there as well. Raymond's. I now have some understanding as to why we went first 2-0 done and then 3-1 done. <laughs> You're reckoning it's my breath that cost us... The well, not yours, if everybody else's. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, yes, it may well have been. Anyway, if anyone's got any uh, exceptionally smelly breath food football stories to tell us about, please drop us a line. Um, in other news... Or don't. Um, <laughs> or don't. Please don't. Uh, it's not, not really that important. Um, in other news, Lionel Messi, uh, he's confirmed he's going to stay now, but there was some talk of him leaving uh, Barcelona, and obviously Pep Guardiola got asked about it, whether he'd be interested. Um, there's a lot of talk um, around the scene that, rather curiously, Carl Rushworth, who's on loan... Raymond, you talked to me about this. He was on loan, he's, well, he is on loan at Worthing, who are doing very well flying high in the Isthmian Prem at the moment. He's been apparently pulling up trees there, hasn't he? Well, uh, he's, he's well regarded, and, and certainly the Mirror was running a story saying that uh, Barcelona sent the scouts to watch him a couple of times. They obviously have scouts throughout England. And, uh, Even in Worthing. And, and, and they managed to actually <laughs> um, throw... Uh, in a, a nice little figure of about four million, if uh, good grief, which unquestionably we've made up. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I would have. I can understand them being interested in a promising young under nineteen squad well, member exactly. for England. Um, exactly what I was going to say. He's he's an up and coming player. He's young. He's nineteen. He's got this whole career ahead of him. Hopefully. Messi doesn't have much of his career left ahead of him. So, you know, uh, equalising... Swap deal? Swap deal, I'm thinking swap deal. Yeah. I'm not convinced Messi could do it on a Tuesday night at Stoke in the Championship. 
or Barnsley. So we're not going to be in the championship. <laughs> be confident, man. Uh, a Tuesday night, a cold Tuesday night in Burnley. There we go. Yeah, Who'd want to do that? I think I'd rather go to, I mean, to, rather go to Stoke, to be honest. To, to what extent does uh, Messi want to be flown to London and wined and dined and to talk to people and then go back to Barcelona? Just have a sort of 48 hours in London um, just for the, just and, for the... And, and do some shopping. Um, but it's a uh, clever strategy. Why not? It, it's, it's interesting you mentioned Phil Rushworth because you actually look at the um, number of young goalkeepers we got out on loan. Mm. I mean, we could almost... Field a, a bloody good side just of goalkeepers. I mean, apart. From I'm not sure that'd be good a side though, because they'd have to play out of position on most of them. <laughs> <laughs> they could play out of position, but Potter's comfortable with that. So well, we so. have to. We have to get the. the or we're suggesting that we play uh, monkey rush and everyone just takes their turn in goal. <laughs> I, I think uh, just uh, a little rewrite of the rules. Just saying that uh, more than one player can wear the gloves, so uh, you know, that wow. would be it's like, like the playground all over again. But, but you actually think of the players we've got. I mean, apart from Ryan and. And still a, a bus of I mean, there's Walton out on loan, there's mm-hmm. McGill at Crawley Sanchez. out on loan, uh, Sanchez, yeah. uh, there's Rushworth, and I think there's one other somewhere. But it's, uh, mm-hmm. I mean, we've got a, a Keto's just come back from loan. Um, we, we do seem to have goalkeepers coming. Up uh, our ears. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yes, exactly. I, I did, the interesting point with Rushworth is, and I think while. I've never really seen. I've never seen him play. I don't know how good he is. He may be brilliant. There does seem to be a trend for English players playing, moving overseas now. Mm. You know, a lot of German clubs seem to be picking up on the, 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 the you know, the younger, young English players going over there. Not all have done that well. I mean, I think Lookman has been moving back and that sort of thing. Yeah. But there's been a lot of it happening, and it's. Whereas for a long time, English players rarely went overseas. It seems to be happening to a lot of them now. Yeah, it's really encouraging, and it's maybe a sign of the times, the modern era, that. Uh, Things are far more global, and yeah. I think people are just far more comfortable yeah. with, with being more adventurous. And frankly, if you're an English young English player, you've probably got a better chance in the Bundesliga of getting a chance yeah. and playing than you have in the Premier League, in all honesty. I think it's a really good compromise because you've got massive crowds. They get bigger crowds than yeah. they do in the Premier League. It's the only the only country that does in Europe, and in fact, probably in the world. Um, and you so you get all the big club effects. Yeah. You get all the pressure moments. You get all yeah. of those experiences. But you probably get a bit more time to grow yeah. as a player. You learn a different type of football. Different type of football, exactly. And you've got that whole interna- international flavour, yeah. the whole living away from home. So you, you eradicate those elements of homesickness that, for example, young English players yeah. who maybe get integrated into the England squad at an early age haven't actually got that used to, yeah. which is my big bugbear about the under-21s, now under-23s, that's, that's been somewhat... Uh, eradicated yeah. in recent years, but they've, they've got they've, they've well, it more Saying that, I saw a stat at the weekend that the two oldest average ages for the season are Palace and Watford, who are both about 29. Mm. There's a stat in the Guardian this weekend that said that Palace hadn't started a player under 23 this season, yeah. which, considering they regard themselves as one of the, you know, the best youth set-ups and that sort of thing, is frankly stunning. And given the amount of South London talent that's yeah. been lauded in recent years... Yeah, I, I can't and obviously they sold one Bissaka for a lot of money in the summer and he's under 20, well, yeah. he's still under 20. But still, the fact that they've got no one seemingly coming through and starting, even starting one game, hmm. is you know quite shocking really. There, there is a lack of joined up thinking, I think, with Paris. So you get the impression they're bumbling along and it's not just have a dig at them because they're rivals, but actually, a general point, I think it does seem like there's a bit haphazard. Yeah, they have a, they're, they're very high wage bill, one of the highest, I think, for their yeah. income 
percentage-wise in the Premier League as compared to maybe we spend more on transfer, a lot more on transfer fees because they've not spent much on the Hodgson. But, but they get players like Mayer and players yeah. like that on massive wages who it's just not sustainable long-term. You have basically just based on staying up, but at one year they'll go down. That's true, but thanks to um, Pickford, the England goalie... Um, uh, Penteke has obviously improved yeah. his ratio of scoring. It. He's doubled, doubled it. his scoring <laughs> the last 18 months. And I was very impressed. He's 35 games. Isn't yeah, and like only his second impressive. since the start of last season. And he's reportedly on 120 grand a week. Yeah. So that and they just give him a new long term deal. Yeah, yeah. And the goal that he um, that was brilliantly saved by Pickford wasn't actually that great a header. Uh, so not, not too impressed, I have to say. Um, moving on to other subjects, uh, Dali Ali has been unfortunately the latest in a very long line of people who have been caught out by social media. When will these guys ever learn? I mean, we don't know the details. All we know is that apparently the coronavirus that's been spreading from, from China, he's apparently been recorded on video, or recorded himself on video one way or the other, and it's gone into trouble. Uh, the FA are seeking information and his, his explanation of what's going on there. Can't comment further because I haven't seen it, but, you know, just why, why get yourself into bother over something like that? These guys... I mean, they're not really, really young guys by that age. You know, I don't know how old Danny Addy is. He must be mid-20s. 25, probably, yeah. Yeah, 24, 25. Yeah, it's very naive, isn't it? And I know they're in a little bit of a bubble and their own world is a bit different to ours in terms of perspective. But but they've seen enough of the issues around it, yeah. Yeah. The the things that, you know, even years later you can get in trouble for, let alone now. It's like, it's yeah, frankly... If I was if I was in, you know, liaising with them at the club regularly, I'd be like pulling my hair out, going like, "What on earth are you yeah. doing?" Yeah, I well, mean, it, it's like the comment that the character in uh, Notting Hill that Julia Roberts plays, saying, "You do something, and it's not forgotten." Hmm. It, it, you know, every time you come back, it, it, the same story is brought out yet again and again and again. Hmm. And uh, one seen it so often that people will refer back to something. That happened two years ago, then three years I'll refer to it, five, five years ago, etc. So mm. social media is a very dangerous thing. Mm. And I think it's uh, the way it's exploited and the way people use it. And they just don't know how vulnerable they are. Yeah. I'm not sure it shouldn't be you know, controlled much more than it is. I think clubs, clubs that have got themselves switched on, I think I include the Albion in this, um, will give social media training. They will make uh, players aware from a, an early time uh, the importance of not making an idiot of themselves and not getting into trouble unnecessarily. I know it's easier said than done, but at least they give them the training and then it's up to the player to a certain extent. You have to give them some sort of freedom there to, to make decisions on whether they should contribute to the social media world or not. And if they do, I mean, there's a lot of good players out there and there's a lot of people who are very mature before their years. I think people like Declan Rice have come across pretty well when they've been interviewed. There's many more besides. Raheem Sterling, actually, is another one who I think has come over really well. Mm. And um, I think it's a lot of people who are, you know, I credit to their uh, to themselves, the family and the industry, but there are others that just yeah. do the exact And I think even if... I don't think it's you win very easily if you're a, a footballer on social media. Even if you're the most you know sensible and most practical mm. player, it's extremely hard to win. You know that's it. I suppose if you go and post literally on Twitter or on Facebook or whatever, and then you know don't do anything else, don't follow up at all, then that's one thing. But if you ever get into an argument with someone, you're never going to win it. 
There's no way you can win that situation, even if you've clearly, uh, you know, beaten them in an argument. Yeah, it's unfortunately it's one of those things, isn't it? It's just uh, it's frustrating. And there's an awful lot of morons on social media who want to try and bait you into saying something. Yeah. As well, and you know. And the other the other thing that's come up this week is that uh, the women's game. Um, Hope Power was talking to the Argus, um, I think, early in the week last week about how the game has risen in profile substantially and all good, that's, that's what everybody wanted, but with that comes this, unfortunately, this, this issue of social media within the women's game, and there are a lot of trolls out there, she referenced them, and it's difficult, and, they, and what she's suggesting is there needs to be more uh, social media training for the women's game now, which is just a side effect of, of that success that's going on in that industry. Yeah, well, I mean, you take the whole social media... I mean, uh, Donald Trump realised that uh, one of the things about social media that you can use it because it's never edited. So you can say something which uh, might be stretching the truth of one's being generous, but because you've said it and it's out there, it has now become true, as it were, and so you can... Fake news. Fake news, uh, to quote him, and he, he uses it in that sort of way. And, you know, you can actually show him that black is black, but you know, he'll say, no, it's white. I have to say, uh, I don't want any of our players using social media like Donald Trump does. <laughs> the unimpeachable pruner, remember? <laughs> Which, who you referred to earlier. But so, it, it is something that is exploited and is used. And the, unfortunately, the companies that provide the platforms don't really seem to be prepared to take some of the responsibility for controlling what appears on their sites. Hmm. No, they're definitely not. No, and they certainly don't pay their tax. <laughs> yeah, Allegedly. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, well, finally in this second part, uh, there's one brief part to come as well, but in this second part, I just wanted to do something I mentioned a couple of weeks ago. Mark Sampson, a friend of ours, Boone, as he's known to his friends, um, had the album London Anthems, which we played a little bit of music off uh, in the interlude between parts one and two, He's got a new release out, which is only on CD, which is why I can't play any of that at the moment, because I'm not technologically advanced enough to do that sort of thing. Um, the new album's called South Eastern Songs, and I promised I'd have a proper listen to it and then give a review on it. I'm not a music journalist, I should um, hasten to add at this stage. Uh, what it is, it's a collection of songs on the theme of the southeast of England, 13 tracks. I won't bore you with too many details. Um, it's just a case of check it out if you want to. I'm assuming it's just available to buy online. Um, I don't think it's on Spotify as far as I'm aware at this stage, although his earlier album that we played a song from is. Uh, this album contains songs such as You Should Have Been in the Pub Last Night. Well, I can completely <laughs> completely go I was. with that one, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and various others along the way. Um, what he is, he seems to be a bit of a keen historian. I don't know if he's amateur or professional, but he's, uh, he's clearly got that flavour of history about him. It's quite folky. It's quite a curious album. I think he's quite a good songwriter, particularly from the lyrical point of view. And, but he, at the same time, he's got an almost like a, a post-punk sort of delivery with his, with his singing. It's almost speaking, speaking rather than singing. A bit Billy Braggish in that sense, um, but a bit more wistful. Um, some interesting songs on there. The Battle of Lewis, 1264. Um, so he's got that history flavour with that sort of thing. There is we're pleased to say a song, track number five, called Seagulls. And yes, it is what you think it is. It's not just about the birds on the seafront. 
<laughs> in, in, in feathered form. I thought I mean. you'd moved on from Tweet here. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's, it's about the Albion, uh, past and present. A wistful look history, nostalgic flavour to it, and take you right into the modern time. It's, it's a nice little tune. There's some other good songs on there as well. There's a song called The Chimneys. It's about chimneys, literally. Um, there's a song called Bright Elmstone, which I'm sure you two will know what that means. Original name of Brighton. Did you know that, guys? Ooh. I thought it was Brightonstone. Brightonstone. I, I probably pronounced it wrongly, yeah. It's, it was a fishing village. I wasn't around then. Uh, yes, no, um, I was. We're, we're ancient, aren't we, Raven? <laughs> uh, I, 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 was a, I was a mere slip of an 18-year-old lad back in the... Uh, Whatever you was, yeah. Days of your... One yeah. of the things you, you may not know is that, going back about three centuries, that Sussex was, um, perhaps earlier, um, divided into areas, rather like ridings in Yorkshire, except for they were called rapes. Oh, R-A-P-E. Right. And I've never quite worked out why is, they were is called rapes. Is that related rapes. to rapeseed? I would have thought so. I imagine, possibly. But, uh, being serious, being... Um, I'm serious, one wonders what the implications of having a rape area were, mm. but um, it's... <laughs> yes, yeah, rather awkward to have one. We, we won't go down that line, but I, I, imagine, yeah. I imagine it was to do with rape sheet, but yeah. I reckon it, yeah. that's the, but, the obvious connotation. Yeah, I mean, so, so Boone is just sort of a local, um, a local singer-songwriter, there's some interesting songs on there, there's one, the Grenfell Tower, which obviously is, it speaks for itself on that about, um, there's one about the narrow narrow country lanes of Kent is the name of the song, and um, it also taps into the whole southeast London where I believe he lives at the moment. So it's an interesting album. It's not going to be for everybody. Lyrically, I think it's very good. Song-wise, I think it's it's decent. It's got a local flavour. It's got the Albion thing from a Brighton supporting point of view. And beyond that, I think you know, give it a try, see what you think. But um, thumbs up to Boom, and I uh, hope you're listening. Hope you like the review. The Battle of Lewis is interesting because it's a good analysis of how the Albion play. Um, in a sense, how to throw away uh, a winning position. <laughs> Henry III was actually in Lewis Castle and had the high ground, and the opposition was down below. So Henry III, not the world's greatest general by any stretch of the imagination, um, decides he's gonna, he'll concede his high ground position and goes down, down the hill to attack them and ends up losing the battle. So that sounds like the Albion sitting on a nice cosy <laughs> one or two nil lead, managing to lose concentration and end up drawing. I'm sure many of you will remember a number of occasions where that's happened. Yes, we don't remember the Battle of Lewis, but we certainly do remember those occasions. Raymond, I love you. You're so good at these analogies. It's, it's superb stuff. Um, I do like that keen sense of history. It's good. Lewis itself is a great town as well, just to quickly digress. Great pubs. A lot of history, mainly this great pub today. I just wanted to mention that. Uh, the Rights of Man, of course, famous historically in terms of what it means. Thomas and in terms, Payne. Yeah, Thomas Paine. A decent pint of Harvey's there to be had. Yeah, you only quite often get a martyr there. Rarely get Thomas Paine there, surprisingly. But anyway, that be as it may. Lewis Castle. Inter- interesting story about Rhoda and his uh, sculpture, The Kiss, which many of you... Uh, may have heard of or seen or seen it uh, in Paris. Things that it, it was offered apparently to Lewis uh, back in the early part of the 20th century, and Lewis Council, in their wisdom, decided to turn it down. Uh. Uh, it came back on exhibition 
uh, in the early part of this millennium and uh, harvests have actually brewed and it comes up from time to time as a beer to commemorate that happening and <laughs> well, needless to say the beer is called Kiss. <laughs> yeah well we do like to miss an opportunity don't we in this country, marvellous stuff. Anyway uh, there we go. <laughs> Right, so we're back with the third and final part of today's podcast. We've talked about most things Albion. A um, couple of bits to mention, though. Seagulls over London. Peter, we've got an announcement to make, our next guest. It's the 25th of March, isn't it, our next meeting? It is. And we have confirmed that our good friends, or my, my good friends, I know them, um, AD and L from the Albion Raw, are going to be our first ever podcast guests on the Seagulls over London event schedule. So they're going to come in and talk about their long-term, um, well, presentation. Of Possibly the, give yeah. some tips to amateurs like us. Absolutely, yeah, they could do. Yeah. Uh, I'm quite matey with them. I saw them at West Ham away, and uh, they're good lads. Um, they've been doing the show for a long time, and they're always good value, and it'll be quite interesting to get their take on things, um, how, they, how it came into being and you know, how they've enjoyed it through the years. Um, if you haven't heard of the Albion Raw podcast, recommend that as well as Josh's podcast together. The Albion Raw is, is findable on iTunes and all the other usual outlets. Um, they broadcast as part of Radio Reverb, which is a community, community radio scheme down in London. Um, so it's always on air as well, I think 12 o'clock on mid, or midday on Saturdays normally. And uh, it's usually pretty good to have guests in, they have chat all things Albion. They're sponsored by um, Old Football Shirts. Um, which is Phil Shelley's thing, and uh, it's, it's a good, it's a good podcast. It's entertaining. They have some good guests on, and they do get some prominent people on, which we hope to do ourselves as well in due course. Do but you anyway, don't regard us as prominent people? Well, we, you are prominent, of course. You are, of course, uh, and ditching gents. Well, you can't get more prominent than that. But uh, in the fullness of time, we hope to get some people on from, well, connected with the club in one way or the other. In the meantime, we're going to chat to those guys. So if any of you can make it up, it's the twenty fifth of March which is midweek, I can't remember which day of the week it is. It's Wednesday. Wednesday, possibly. Wednesday. Yeah. Uh, it's the 25th of March, Albion Sir Raw. Christopher Hatton Pub. Sir Christopher Hatton Pub. In Chancery Lane sort of area. Chancery Lane, exit 2 yeah. It's the basement of the cellar bar. Good beer, good food, good chat. Yeah. yeah. And you get to meet us in person. Absolutely. So what more could you want? Absolutely. It is £5 to come in on the, on the day if you're just coming for a one-off. If you are joining, it's £10 for the year. I realise we're getting quite a long way into the year because yeah. it's based on... Yeah, so it'll be £5 pounds membership from so. the next one for the whole year. Yeah. There's only be two more meetings this, this year, so... Yeah, yeah, so that's that. And so that's with Alan Wares and A.D. Packham from the Albion Raw. Um, on next week's show, on our next week's show, uh, we're going to review each of the Premier League team's progress so far. Our assessment on how things are going for each of them. Should be a short show. Yeah. <laughs> um, we're going to take our first look at the EFL. There's also um, Lone Watch Part 1. I want to have a look in more detail about how the Albion prospects are doing. There's been an article in the Argus this week, which is uh, quite good for a few details, but we'll go into more uh, when we meet up. And we're going to have our... F- well, we're going to take our first furtive glance at a certain upcoming fixture coming up at the Amex against Crippled Phallus. <laughs> Sorry, did I pronounce that wrongly? Um, well, that's going to be the big one. It's the first of our derby games since we've been on air. Are you looking forward to that, Peter? <laughs> Not really, no, at the moment. <laughs> Not at the moment. Two teams on both on pretty dreadful form. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, it's a derby, anything can happen. Who knows? Yeah. Alexis McAllister hat-trick. Yeah. Well, All own goals. It's not for the faint-hearted, <laughs> is it? And 
We've had mixed fortunes. I think a lot of friends just don't like the fixture. I think I've heard Palace fans say the same. That it's just yeah. too intense. It, it, too won't, it won't match whatever it was. It won't match yeah. last year. Yeah. Winning with 10 men for most exactly. of the game. and Exactly. And we can't do the double over them this yeah. year, um, which uh, unfortunately we should have won that game. And we, we should have kept Belogan to, to have him bring him on in that game. <laughs> just and for score his first touch. Yeah, exactly. And Andoni. Raymond. You, you asked earlier in, in the programme what the two teams that we did the double over. Yeah, and just to give you the answer, obviously Crystal Palace was one. Not and, the first season. And the other was uh, another East London club. West Ham. Not the first season it wasn't. Well, yes, you are only 50% right. Swansea. In the first season it was Swansea was the other team. The only two teams oh. we went away to were Brentwood, first Swansea season, and West Ham. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's right. And um, the um, uh, yeah, and, and, and this season uh, we haven't done the double over anyone. Last season, Palace, you are right, was last season. There was another one as well, I think, wasn't there? Uh, I think it was. Huddersfield. There? Yes, that's right, Huddersfield, yeah. So it's been two every year. I'm worried that we're not going to make the two this year. Well, we've not won many away games in previous seasons. Yeah, um, generally, we've only won I think, five in the last two seasons, and mm. those four of those were doubles over yeah. over there's teams. A, there's a few we still can do. We if we beat Arsenal at home, that's one of them. There's also Norwich away, um, where we we won a home game two 0 I'm trying to think if there's any others. I'm not sure there. I'm not sure there are actually. So we've got to win those two. Just beat yeah. Arsenal and Norwich, no problem at all. Um, in terms of points for the season well a couple of wins would be a substantial way to get us the rest of the way through let's see how we do halfway to what we need for the season absolutely, yeah. absolutely. I mean with 12 games to go uh, we probably need to be safe 14 points got to get got to hit that magic 14 this 14 year. points 13 I think would be 40 wouldn't it 27 currently we've got 27 we've got 27 or 13 I think probably just about now, I, at one point I thought Thorsey would be needed, I think probably 38 will be okay now, given other teams seem to have dropped their form as well. Yeah, it did look um, for a while as if it was yeah. going to be an unusually high threshold. 38 is two wins and five draws as it's going at the moment probably, or three wins and two draws. Yeah, yeah. I, I wouldn't feel comfortable with that, but I think probably we'd just about be okay with 38, yeah. with our goal difference as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I think we've lost the game nine nil, which helps. I'm, I'm not inclined or to think like 40 I, points will ever be needed, but 38, we may need the full 38. It, it's a very congested though, from about eighth place down to hmm. about. You, my view is about that about 18th place. It's if you do the maths, it, if you do the maths, it, it, it is pretty much on. On points, it's, it's how it always ends as it up stands. There. My view is Norwich will drop. Yeah. One of the current loss of uh, the five of us who are competing for two places will drop a little bit as well, and probably be a little bit adrift. And then it'll be quite competitive for the third place. And there might be three or four teams all within uh, with a with a, a chance of going down the last couple of games or whatever. And it could be really really nervy. What we actually do have this year is, a, is that the last three games, which are winnable. Yeah. As compared to previous years, when we finished with oh. Liverpool and Man City, and then Liverpool and then City last season as well, yeah. and Arsenal. And we, so we, we do have a winnable run in last we, three games. We, this current run of, four, of games, we we said we wanted to get six points, um, or we wanted to get four points from each of the two pairs of games, yeah. and we've only got three out of the, yeah, uh, the four exactly. matches. So that's not good. We've now got some really tough fixtures coming mm. up, certainly next month in March, mm. um, but um, and I think in April as well. But as you said. The latter part of April, yeah. those last three games, they are winnable. Well, what could be a, they don't want the pressure on yeah, those games. But what could be a bonus is Southampton, Burnley and Newcastle are all doing okay at the moment. If they could be safe by the time we play them, that would be a real bonus in my view. Because yeah. yes, there's a pressure, <laughs> but I always think teams a little bit don't have quite the same passion when they're a little bit safe. 
Yeah. They've just got safe and they're okay. Yeah, people talk about the relaxing to... and being they're, they're free yeah. from pain, but actually, I think it, it, all, in, all in all, you know, percentages are just down on the You've got that little bit more to play for. Yeah, that's right. So, on that note, we'll see how it goes. We've got a week off in terms of the football. We will have a podcast next week, though, so I'll be meeting up with you, Peter, for that one. Do I not get an international break? You don't know, I'm afraid not, no. no. Or a uh, mid-season break. We're, we're doing this one on the Tuesday. We'll probably try and do Monday next week, uh, so you can get a little bit of a break. Where are you going to go, Dubai? Uh, it's a bit, the, the problems there generally are too much at the moment, <laughs> so I might just go to uh, Chiswick to the well, where well, the Fuller's Brewery is. And have a few beers. <laughs> well, in the meantime then, from the Gladstone Arms, Peter, it's been a pleasure as always. As always for us. Raymond, it's been a pleasure again to have you on. Thank you very much, I've enjoyed it. So no problem Good to see the two of you and, and keep it going. Yeah, absolutely. Stand or fall, up the Albion. Cheers, guys. Cheers. Bye. Hello, it's me, Russell, again. Just one little footnote to today's podcast. I notice that I mentioned Radio Reverb as being down in London. It is, of course, down in Brighton, not London. Radio Reverb, community radio in Brighton. Excellent stuff, worth checking out. Anyway, hope you enjoyed the podcast and speak to you next time. Sports Social Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.